Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Warrior, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. Wow, what a game, basketball. I, I watch a lot of it all over the league, and this is one of my favorite games of the year, regardless of situation, opponent, anything like that. And the biggest reason is that the New Orleans Pelicans played very, very well for most of this game. I think Jim Barnett put it well at the very end of the kind of regular part of the broadcast when he said, you know, the Pelicans played well, but the Warriors just took it away from them. And by and large, I think that is what happened in this game. New Orleans was ahead for most of it. The Warriors did kind of nip and tuck at a couple of different leads. Warriors end up winning 113-109. And while there is plenty to discuss throughout this game, might as well start at the very end. And so the two defining plays of this game were both defensive and that's happened a few times for the Warriors this year but the first one was the big help defense block by Kevin Durant on Anthony Davis which set the table for Draymond Green's big steal on Anthony Davis which functionally sealed the game and both of them were great instinct plays great representations of their individual force as basketball players and Anthony Davis was awesome in this game Anthony Davis ended up scoring 28 points on just 14 shot attempts and just 18 shooting possessions because he did take eight free throws and so you take that in two so 28 on 18 is absolutely incredible and one of those misses was the block for Durant and then he he only had he had six turnovers in this game that's not that bad for considering the amount of usage he had and one of those those, of course, was the Draymond steal at the end. Two great plays to my eyes, seeing it then and seeing it a couple times since. It both looked completely clean. I had no real issue with either one in terms of, oh, there should have been a call or anything like that. I'm sure some people see it differently, and, and that's the way that these things always go. But I saw no problem with them from a defensive perspective. And Overall, the Warriors did not play the best defensive game for the most part. They had some really nice sequences throughout, but they were able to get it together when they needed to again, paralleling both the Hawks game and the Bucks game, both of which were clinched in a way by Draymond big defensive stops, the one against Schroeder, the two against Schroeder actually, and the one on Giannis at the very end of the Bucks game. And that's why he is a serious candidate for Defensive Player of the Year. I picked him as my choice at the end of November, the way Nate and I do dunked on, we do a monthly awards, but... I'd have to think about it, but I'm pretty sure he'd be my guy right now. And he has high leverage defensive plays. That's now three in that stretch. And I mentioned this at the very outset, but I think it's an important through line of this game is that I've used the phrase just enough a few times with the Warriors this year. And that's been largely, you know, it's partially derision and partially just an acknowledgement of their skill that they have been able to win a lot of games without their best. They were able to, the two that are sticking out to me right now are those two home games against 
the Mavericks and against the Suns, but there was also a game against the Pelicans where it was, I believe it was closer than it probably should have been. And in those cases, just enough was more that they played down to their opponents, but still pulled it out. This was a just enough game of a completely different variety, which was that they had just enough to win, but it was to beat a team that was playing, for the most part, really above their heads. The Pelicans did it in a lot of different ways. In the first half, they were shooting the lights out, and that is not really a hallmark of this team. Those of you who watched the the broadcast can know that Fitz went a little bit crazy with this, just in terms of them shooting their own shooting outside of their own expectations. They were ten of nineteen from three, which is more than they usually take in a, in a half, and more way more than they usually make. But it is worth noting that the clip their season averages are a little bit off because. Drew Holiday missed a bunch of time, and Langston Galloway missed a bunch of time, and they didn't really have replacements who could fill that role. They had Lance Stevenson, who had a lot of ball handling and is not the greatest shooter. They bounced around with a lot of different guys. Frazier had a really nice game overall. A lot of that actually came in the second half, while many of the other players on the Pelicans cooled off. Frazier was able to get a lot of shots going, and New Orleans executed better defensively than I've seen most of the year. A lot of that is attributable to them getting solid shot changing, more more than shot blocking, uh, it was a little bit of both, from Anthony Davis and Alexia Jinsa. Both guys have a good sense of, of what they're doing out there, and the Warriors have a penchant when a player or players are blocking shots to change it a little bit preemptively moving forward. There were a couple, there was one where Curry sh- shot it, not the good one late where he shot it early, but there was another one where he was very aware of Anthony Davis's presence. And a big part of being a rim protector is not blocking every shot, not chasing every block, but deterring people from taking the shots in the first place and making them worsen it themselves. And Davis Agensa did that a fair amount in this game. That adjustment was something that really did help the Warriors. And I want to give the Pelicans a lot of credit for moving the ball well. And one particular stretch where they were doing that was against the lineup that the Warriors used to such great effect just two days ago against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that was the lineup that most typically starts the second, starts the fourth quarter. And I... It was a cu- one of a couple moments in the game, and actually was originally going to use this as the lead for this podcast, that while the Pelicans led for a lot of this game, there were a series of moments where it kind of felt like a Michael Myers thing, where the Warriors, you know, they'd, they'd overcome the villain if you're seeing a story from their perspective, but the villain just wouldn't die. That was another one. The Warriors had come back, they'd taken the lead, and then, boom, 6-0 run by the Pelicans group that was out there. And they did a nice job building a lead without, not only without Anthony Davis, but without Drew Holiday. And those were their two best players for a large portion of this game beyond Langston Galloway hitting everything imaginable. But Drew's a much better defender, so that that's a part of the story as well. But the Pelicans fought through everything and that's part of what made this game so much fun and what made this game so much special is a worthy adversary and some will focus on the pelicans being 8 and 18 and that is a weird parallel to minnesota who also played the warriors very well and have a below 500 record though minnesota had a big win tonight against the chicago bulls and that is underselling things for a lot of reasons for the Pelicans. One of them is that they've been dealing with just a crazy slew of injuries and bad luck. Drew Holiday missed a bunch of time, not because he was hurt himself, but because his wife Lauren was dealing with some medical issues and he wanted to be with her. It's great that he did that. It did hurt 
it did, you know, it, I'm not saying it was a bad thing, but, you know, it was harder for the team to, to deal with him in his absence. And they're still dealing with the absence of Quincy Pondexter, who was a nice piece for them, Tyreek Evans, who was a nice piece for them. And they are better than what they have looked so far. If I were a Pelicans fan watching this game or thinking about this, I would be very encouraged by it because if they can play this well, moving forward, they can be a lot more relevant than they have been so far. However, it's going to be hard for them to move beyond being 500-500, to move all the way up, even if some of the bottom teams in the West look a little shakier than we expected just because it's been so strong so far. But that's enough on the Pelicans for now. One of my biggest takeaways from this game was whether it is his own confidence in that building or maybe more confidence in his physical form, this was the closest that Stephen Curry has looked to one key component of what made him so special the last couple years, and that was his ability to take and make really audacious shots. He had one that was a a, kind of a a loose facsimile in the left corner of the big shot he hit in the game three of the 2013 playoffs. Yet again, it looked like he got fouled. I'm not completely sure because he kind of stepped through in this one. He definitely got fouled two years ago. And what Curry needs to do at some points is just have the confidence to do that ridiculous stuff. And they're not always going to go in every time. And that's still true. Made a couple of completely ridiculous shots in this game. I've, I've called him the horse champion on Twitter for a while. But this was more of the style of step backs and things like that that he's so confident with. But one of the big differences between this Curry and the one before was the way he attacks switches. And that was well reflected on a, a really important play late where Curry got Anthony Davis on him and passed off the ball and then got it back, drove, and then slowed for a second, got Davis to go by a little bit, and then just quick shot it to get it past the shot blocker. Davis is, as far as I can remember, Davis is the leading shot blocker. He added five tonight, so he's probably still the leading shot blocker in the NBA. And Curry doing it in this game made it more, it was a greater reminder of how rarely that has happened during this regular season. And if he can get back to that at least a little bit more, that would be a huge step for what is already one of the league's best offenses. I don't know exactly statistically between them and Toronto right now, but anyway, I mean, if they're the best or they're the second best, it doesn't really matter when those teams are playing so well. So that was a major thing with Curry. But one big difference between what he did early and what he did late was that he had a base in the first two quarters of really makeable shots, clean looks, and most of those went in, a couple open threes, a couple little drives, and in the second half, he was make, still making some of the challenging ones and ridiculous ones, but he wasn't really getting that base. It's something that is a, an attribute for Clay Thompson that really helps him. He had a, Clay had a couple of nice drives in this game too, which is becoming more of a staple of him as a dribbler, that he's able to do that and create for others. Actually had a nice one where he created it and then ended up getting to Curry for three. So it was a better game top to bottom by a lot of different Warriors, and I wanted to talk a little bit about JaVale McGee as well, because McGee was not a factor late. He was, you know, it's kind of that same thing that we're going to see with a lot of the starting centers that wasn't really special for JaVale. It's the same thing with Zaza, that they don't play late because the Warriors' best five does not include a traditional center. But he brings something offensively, which the Warriors are incredibly comfortable dealing with, which is a rim-running, lob-catching big man. And while Pachulia is certainly more adept overall offensively, and at moments it will matter that he's a lot better of a free throw shooter, JaVale 
has gravity. He's a player that the other team has to keep track of. And the Warriors are getting better. Draymond's always been active and interested in it. But the other guys are getting better at knowing where to look and knowing where to pass. And we saw Clay try one. It, it failed. But Clay tried one tonight, and that will become something I think we'll actually see a little bit, depending on how much Andre and McGee play together. And McGee tries. There was a sequence I'm writing about for The Athletic where McGee went for an offensive rebound that he was almost definitely not going to get, which is actually an Anderson Verjao trademark. David Lee used to do this sometimes too, where you know you're trying for it. It's a lot of times it's the best intentions, but if you are anything less than athletic and engaged, that puts you out of position for the rest of the play. And while he didn't get back fast and t- fast enough to change the shot, he beat his own cover back, I believe it was Ajinsa, and got the defensive rebound. And so if you're going to make that sort of a gamble, it's a lot more palatable when the person puts in the, the elbow grease, puts in the effort to get back and to make an impact on the play, even if it wasn't exactly what they were looking for. So A nice performance by McGee, a reminder that he should be seriously considered when the Warriors are thinking about centers in Pachulia's absence, maybe even not in Pachulia's absence, depending on the matchup. When they announced it, I assumed that he was going to be playing mostly against Omar Ashik, who ended up getting a DNP CD, meaning coach's decision doesn't, I don't don't know of any injuries that prevented him from playing. But Ajinsa did a nice job in the first half. It was a little bit shakier after that. And he can... JaVale can work in those kind of circumstances because his effort makes a difference and also his weird gambling doesn't matter as much on a player who is less offensively capable. Ajinsa has a little bit of a jump shot but we didn't see it in this game and Omar Ashik is basically a nothing offensively so McGee is much better in those circumstances and he also can outrun some of the more groundbound guys and with with effort and that would have been Ashik probably if he had been on the floor he wasn't Ajinsa's a little bit more lithe a little bit more athletic so McGee worked out well there I'm going to be very interested depending on what happens with Pachulia I haven't heard anything definitive in terms of whether he's going to play against the Knicks I know I there was some speculation I think JB talked about this on the broadcast that he might need to go for an MRI McGee against the Knicks is fascinating because the Knicks play Christoph Porzingis, of course, but he mostly is at power forward because they have Joakim Noah and they have Kyle O'Quinn. And so those are different types of guys that JaVale might struggle a little bit against, especially Noah because he's so smart. He's a very talented offensive player. That said, he has no jump shot or anything like that. So maybe JaVale would, would do okay there. So I'm excited to see if that happens, how it works out. JaVale, to me, has certainly proven that he d- can do more if asked to do more. I still want to see David West get that same opportunity because while he wasn't nearly as good in this game as he was in the fourth quarter against Minnesota, he still had a nice performance, and I really like David West as a passer. He opens up a different element in some ways similar to Pachulia, but he's more versatile defensively because he's still not you know great pick and roll, but he can do other things, and he's more able to switch. And we actually saw some weird situations in this game where the Warriors probably over-switched. And I noticed at one point it looked like Curry was a little bit too comfortable with the idea of switching and wasn't playing the screen and roll exactly the right way. There was one in particular on Anthony Davis where he got kind of hung and Tim Frazier got, got separation. And so what happened then was that Draymond did the right thing and got out on Frazier. And then what that led to was Anthony Davis on Steph and that forced help and then the Pelicans got a basket and switching is great 
It helps prevent the other team from getting seams, helps them prevent from getting easy looks. But when you get into those kind of overuse or over-reliance situations, good players can get more comfortable with bad habits, especially when fatigue sets in. And fatigue was certainly a part of this game and part of what made it so impressive. And while I believe both these teams were on the same rest, there is certainly a fatigue that comes with a road trip like this, especially the four and five nights that led up to Tuesday's game. And it was impressive to see the Warriors fight through. And I, I made the Michael Myers analogy before. Like It takes a lot to come back against the team on the road and then to hold the lead and then the emotional impact of seeing them keep doing it. And New Orleans has played the Warriors well over the last couple of years. Even in that playoff series where they got swept, they had a couple of good games, including that game three when Curry hit that crazy shot. So they have good personnel. I've talked before, maybe not on the show. I don't know about how... Even going back to his Philly days, Drew Holiday has defended Steph Curry well, and that's definitely stayed true. And one other thing I wanted to mention before we got to the end of the show was that Kerr was again comfortable assigning Steph off ball for stretches of time. It helped when Buddy Heald was on the floor because Heald is still limited in terms of his own shot creation. He made a couple of nice baskets early. He had five points, I think. I think he had their first five points, and then he only scored two in the rest of the game. But... That's the whole reason why Clay Thompson's defense is so valuable is that you can play Clay on the better defensive guy and give Curry that assignment, whether whether it stems from him not playing great defensively or just from giving him more rest. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both at the same time. But seeing Kerr make those kind of assignments is encouraging because there will be moments during the playoffs, during the late regular season, during games that will linger more than this one that will have greater significance where those kind of hard decisions those kind of things where Curry is a very prideful guy will really matter and so I am interested to see how that works going forward I realize now other than talking about the block a little bit I haven't talked much about Durant he had some really nice moments offensively had had a nice fadeaway I think it was on Solomon Hill that was just a reminder of how good he can be offensively. He forced a few looks. He's done that a few times. He should force a few more. Durant should be more selfish, especially in those lineups at the end at the end of the uh well actually more at the beginning of the second than the end of the first, when he is the primary creator and just knowing when he has a look he doesn't need to pass off of it. There was also one where he had Tim Frazier one on one and probably anticipated the double, which surely would have eventually come but he passed it a little bit early and so they didn't gain the advantage created either by him drawing a foul getting to the basket or drawing a double and Durant's gonna have to get more assertive in those circumstances but he played a nice defensive game and made that defining block so uh, a good performance by him overall even if it was one of the less obviously fantastic of a fantastic year for him The bench guys overall were solid, but unspectacular. Iguodala made some nice decisions out there, was working on the defensive glass more than you usually see, and I think a lot of that is attributable to Anthony Davis, and Davis had a just, he's just so impactful. Like He makes plays that aren't really possible for most other guys, and Warriors fans are used to that because the Warriors have four guys who can do that at different moments and in very different ways, but Anthony Davis is a two-way impactful player, even if he is far more offense than defense at this moment. And it was a testament to his ability that players like Iguodala and at certain moments Durant even put more of a focus on the defensive glass. And the while there were some team rebounds involved, New Orleans only ended up with six offensive rebounds. And 
they had to make a choice. It's something that New Orleans has actually done all of this year, despite playing big all the time, is that they generally send guys back on defense. And the Warriors actually were outscored in transition. Some of that was also Langston Galloway going completely bonkers. And Anthony Davis is one of the best transition players in the entire league because he's so efficient and he just dunks it. It's very easy to be efficient when you dunk it and make good decisions. But the Pelicans outscored the Warriors 14 or 15 to 14 in transition, but they get back and the Warriors did a nice job overall of just taking what was there. But they also tried enough on the defensive glass because when you're a little bit smaller and when the other team has Anthony Davis, you can get into the trouble where maybe they only have one guy on the offensive glass, but that guy gets the rebound. And those are some real backbreakers. So a good performance by everybody in that capacity and to react with proper patience and understanding to the Pelicans going so crazy at the beginning of the game because you have to rely on the law of averages. But the most important part, while they were using the law of averages to their advantage late where the Pelicans stopped making the ridiculous ones they were making before, the Warriors also were doing a much better job of contesting and making those looks harder. And that is an even better way to ensure that the other team regresses to the mean is by making their shots worse. And the Warriors did that very well tonight. And this caps off a very impressive five-game road trip some of the games changed in context. Like, I mean, the Jazz, yeah, it probably shouldn't have been as close as it was, especially considering how they started, but they won. Clippers game was dominant early. They held on and, and, and won pretty comfortably, and then the Minnesota game was that great comeback. But all of that kind of pales in some way in comparison to just the sheer number of 4-1. and one. And when you compare that to the struggling trips that the Clippers had, the one that the Cavs had recently, and... The Spurs have been awesome on the road. Their only road loss was in Chicago. I think it was about a week ago. But the Warriors winning games like this makes it so much more likely that they will be in a good position when it comes to the number one seed. It is still far, 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 far too early to know that. But these are the signs that a team needs. And I don't particularly care about the prospect of them getting 73. I'll care about that if they're close with five or six games left. But... The number one seed is something that matters. It matters in the in the early rounds of the playoffs because you generally will face weaker opponents, but it really matters in the conference finals and the NBA finals because you're going to be facing the best of the best. And yeah, it ended up not becoming, you know, it ended up not being definitive last year, but by and large, there's a reason why the Warriors have pushed for it. And winning games like this one, like the Minnesota one, make that substantially more likely. Thank you so much for listening. Any feedback, good, bad, indifferent, you can reach out to me, Danny LaRue, NBA at gmail.com or Danny LaRue on Twitter. I prefer email with the nature that I can keep it in my inbox. I can think about it with Twitter. I sometimes miss things. And if your goal is to have me see something, the best way to do that is in a way that I can make sure that I can see it. So I really do appreciate that. I've gotten some really good ideas for future stuff. And depending on availability and everything else like that, I will probably tackle one or more of those topics tomorrow because the Warriors actually have a travel day, which means an off day and I can record on kind of whatever. Probably do a mailbag at some point in the near future. Of course, going to do a podcast after the Knicks game, which will be the last one of of the regular week. Still not sure if I'm going to do something on the Blazers game on Saturday. It'll depend on availability and many other things. So also, if you didn't listen to it, well, I know the game ones are exciting and fun. If you want to listen to the podcast I did yesterday, which was focused on the collective bargaining agreement and what Warriors fans should be looking at in terms of retaining Kevin Durant and everyone else, it's a good resource to have. You don't have to listen to it right away, even though we might get a CBA agreement relatively soon. 
and I think it would be good to listen to before that so you know what to be looking for, but you don't have to listen to it right away. So uh, thank you so much to everybody for the support. You can leave a rating, leave a review in whatever podcast player you use, subscribe, download every episode, and check out our sponsors, Mac Weldon, SeatGeek. We'll be talking, of course, more about them in the future. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.